This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. everybody hello and welcome to the first ever episode 69 of the best seats podcast the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality industry from right here in orange county to the rest of southern california and beyond each and every episode i'm your host croft mccarthy founder of the best seats thank you as always to my friend ali coyle who provides the music for the show you can find more of her work at alicoilmusic.com or if you live here in the orange county area check out any of her family's three restaurants Fable and Spirit over in Newport Beach, Dublin Four Gastro Pub, and Wine Works for Everyone. Both of those are over in Mission Viejo. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a rating, a review, share it with your friends. If you're listening on free feeds, it helps other folks discover it as well. You can go to thebestseats.com for more content just like this. You can learn about the Patreon like you listened to or you heard about in the intro of the show. And for those of you who are listening and don't know about it, that is P-A-T. R-E-O-N for Patreon. Of course, if you don't want to learn about all the other cool stuff on thebestseats.com and you just want that Patreon info, you can go directly to their site at patreon.com forward slash thebestseats and sign up at a monthly amount that makes the most sense to you. You get ad-free listening, early access to the show, as well as exclusive access to a bunch of other cool stuff, most of which was just recently announced, depending on when you're listening to this episode. But a lot of it is coming and a lot of it is very, very cool. So, if you feel like supporting a fully crowdfunded initiative that is the best seats, please go over to Patreon and consider doing so. But enough of that. Let's talk about episode 69. Very, very excited to have a returning guest in Chef Rob Wilson, executive chef, owner of Class Bar Seafood down in Dana Point. He was on the second ever episode way, 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 way back when. I cannot believe it's been that long, but early in 2020. But I'm not just joined by Chef. I am joined by his front of house maestro himself, Marcos Costas. Marcos and Rob were two people that I wanted to get back on the show. Well, Rob, I want to get back on the show. I want to have Marcos on for the first time um, to revisit. Um, You know, it's been a long time since I talked to them. You know, as you'll hear in the show, it was April of 2020 when we recorded last. It was the second ever episode. For those of you that did listen to that, God bless you, because looking back at it now, almost 70 episodes in, it was rough. I was just learning all of this. I was learning how to run a show, how not to run a show, how to run equipment, how not to run equipment. And I'm forever grateful for Chef Wilson for taking the time and coming on the show. Marcos is somebody that I met afterwards once Glass Bar slowly started to reopen. I started to connect with him um, during the shutdown when they were running their seafood market, as you heard about during that podcast, or you probably were made aware of because they've still continued to do it in different capacities in the past year and a half. Uh, It's very interesting to be almost 70 episodes in and I've had a lot of different aspects of the hospitality community from beverage directors to bartenders to servers to, you know, some people with front of house experience. But Marcos is somebody that has been doing front of house for a long time, kind of in that old vein of the Danny Meyer school of thought. I mean, he's done a lot of time on the East Coast, hotels, major, major, major hospitality. And I wanted to get his brain 
involved while catching up with Chef Wilson to talk about what it's been like, not just from the back of house standpoint, getting back to things and, and quote unquote normal, but from the front of house as well. Because there's so many news stories that we kind of hear each and every day about, you know, unruly diners or, you know, trouble sourcing produce. And how do those things intertwine when you're trying to worry about getting a dish and the products for it in the back of the house and then translating that experience or the troubles of it to the front of the house and so on? Glass Bar is a big restaurant. It's a good restaurant. It's on my top list. I'm a big fan of it. I like what they do. I'm very, very, very proud to consider some of the people that work there friends. Um, and it's a place that I like to support. So selfishly, I want to hear how they're doing. And if you haven't been, I highly recommend it if you're in the Orange County area. If you're from listening from out of town, please check it out if you consider visiting here. But it's a good one. And there's a lot of really cool information there. And as we start to get into kind of the holiday season and, you know, they're winding up and they have a ton of private parties scheduled and it's a big place. And I know that they've got a lot of numbers on the books each and every night. You know, what is it like to go from a year of 2020 where you're doing nothing to 2021 where you're cranking at full capacity and doing 500 cover type of nights sometimes. So I wanted to sit down with both of them to catch up with Chef, but also to have Marcos on and get some experience from the front of the house and really hear from his expertise. So I hope that you will enjoy episode 69 of the Best Seats podcast featuring the team behind the front and the back of the house at Glass Bar, Chef Rob Wilson and GM Marcos Costas. Enjoy. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down pre-service today. Beautiful early first week here. Well, I guess second week really in November. Um, very excited to be at Glass Bar recording for the second time with you, Chef. First time with you, Marcos. Um, now, that first episode, I did look right before I hit record. That was all the way back on tax day, April 15th of 2020. So that's like a doubly dark day. And that was very rough. Second episode ever over the phone, whole nine yards. So assuming that nobody may have listened to that one, we'll treat it as a first time one. Uh, Chef, would you mind introducing yourself? And same thing for you. Would you guys both mind giving your backgrounds a little bit and kind of how we came to be where we are today? Sure. So uh, Marcos, you want to go first? Uh, okay. <laughs> My name is Marcos Costas. Um, I'm the general manager of Glass Bar Seafood here in Dana Point. Uh, I originally grew up in South New Jersey in college in Connecticut. I had worked for the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company in Philadelphia uh, for about eight months, and then I uh, got transferred out to this Ritz-Carlton in Laguna Niguel in 1996, and I worked for that hotel for close to five years. Um, but I, I wanted to get back to more neighborhoody uh, food and beverage establishments, so I oversaw a restaurant in Laguna Beach that was popular at the time called Tiamo. And then I helped David Wilhelm, a, a popular restaurateur in this area, open a few of his concepts, Chat Noir, uh, Rouge Bistro in Newport Beach. We did... Um, Savannah Chop House yeah. uh, and Friends 75 in Laguna. And then uh, Pelican Hill opened and I was the general manager of the fine dining room, Andrea, it was called. And then I was the director of operations for the Salt Creek Grill restaurants, one in Dana Point, the other in Manhattan Beach, El Segundo area. And then uh, Rob and I decided to lay some back up together and we uh, opened Glass Bar Seafood in the middle of December of uh, 19. Jeff? What an amazing time to open a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Good Lord. So uh, executive chef Rob Wilson um, grew up here in this area, went to culinary school in New York uh, at the CIA, graduated in 1991, did, did my apprenticeship for the Ritz-Carlton in Rancho Mirage, uh, <clears throat> went started kind of the corporate hospitality industry, was a sous chef at the Surf and Sand, 
um, decided we wanted to move to Mammoth. So we moved to Mammoth for about six years where I was partner in three different restaurant concepts up there. Um, ultimately ended up moving back down and starting with Ritz Carlton once again uh, for the next basically 13 years, ran four different properties, the last one being Ritz Carlton Laguna Niguel. Um, and then after that run, uh, decided to leave Ritz Carlton, join Montage. I was with Montage Laguna Beach as their executive chef. Um, and also oversaw a few fun projects uh, with Pendry, West Pendry San Diego, um, West Hollywood, uh, opened four hotels with them during the, that period of time and got to do a lot of designing and stuff too. It was really fun. And then just kind of got, you know, the, as the kids got older, it was just time to actually step away from the corporate hospitality and and uh, take on this this project. So we, we, we conceptualized it and uh, obviously joined up with Marcos and my wife and yeah, we set sail. I mean, you joked that, you know, what a time to open a restaurant right towards the tail end. I want to say your friends and family was like about this time, 2019, give or take right around that. I mean, you guys opened what tail end of 2019? Yeah, we opened December 13th of 19. Yeah. Um, friends and family would have been the that first week of December. Okay, so I'm off by a yeah, month, yeah, but, but yeah, still close, in that right that window. Super close. And like I said, you know, you were gracious enough to come on the podcast right when I was first trying to get this thing off the ground when everything was shut down. Like I said, it was April 15th was the published date for that episode. So I don't know what I was thinking. I guess taxes, we just were in the back of our mind at that time. But, you know, I went back and I listened to the, the, the short kind of travesty and the show's come a long way since then. But that was right in the middle of when nobody could say anything without the word pivot being involved in the sentence. Now, you know, back then for people who haven't been, you guys have a beautiful raw bar set up, nice long, you turned it into a fish market. Can you kind of talk about what that was like only being at the time, you know, what, four months old and then wham, if that, maybe three months old based on the opening date to just have that kind of shut down. And I guess not just talk about what it was like, but what it's like looking back on it now that so much time has passed. I think it's, um, if you look back on it, it's like, it's mind blowing to see like how fast we transit transitioned into doing the market from when we closed, we closed on a Tuesday, we were doing our market live on Saturday and that Saturday we sold out a product in two and a half hours. We did it again on Sunday and then Marcus and I and, and Anik, we took a step back and we're like, okay, let's, maybe it's not Saturday, Sunday, maybe it's a Wednesday. So you fill the need date, midweek fish and Saturday fish. And so that's what we decided to do. You know, we, and not that we were at the forefront, because I think there was other people that were transitioning and opening markets as well within their restaurants. And I think we just, we hit, we hit a hot button. And um, looking back at it, I, I think it saved the restaurant. I yeah. mean, without a doubt, it kept us live in the, um, you know, in the community, it kept us at the forefront of everybody's mind. Uh, we were supplying great fresh fish and, and seafood to our community at a very reasonable pricing, extremely reasonable. And I think that, that it's still to this day, we get, we still get seafood orders uh, weekly. Um, it's online now. Yeah. So um, I think, I think it did what it needed to do for glass bar to get us through into a, not another reopening. Well, one of the reasons that I wanted to sit back down, aside from the fact that it had been well over a year and a half since you were first on the show and, and I thought it was long overdue to catch up, was Marcos, I wanted to get you on the show as well because your experience is front of house. And I've had a lot of different aspects of the hospitality world on this show, you know, almost 70 episodes in at this point. I haven't had a lot of front of house. And I'm extremely curious to see, you know, I've obviously heard from Chef and, and you know, we're not going to lay on 2020 too much because I think everybody's ready to say goodbye to that. But 
what was the experience like for you to all of a sudden be, you know, checking in with hostesses and touching tables and things like that. And now I have to imagine you were looking at yourself going, well, shit, I know he can cook, so he'll get away with it, but I, I might be screwed here. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, you know, the whole thing made us look at ourselves under a different lens. And there was a time, and I remember saying it to Rob and Anique, you know, I'm kind of a dinosaur in that um, I got in this business just because I love people. And I didn't know post-COVID if that exfoliated my position out, would anyone want an experienced operator? Now, flip side of the coin, um, as we sit here today, I think it's Rob's experience in the industry and mine in the front that got us through. Um, one of the books that I love to read and reread is by Danny Myers. It's called Setting the Table. And the first page, it's the only thing on the page, it says people will always come back to a restaurant that makes them feel like they've come home. So I'd like to think Rob's food sets the table, and I like to make sure that people feel like they're welcomed, they're in our house. Um, I try to recognize all the familiar faces and names and just give everybody a sense of well-being that they've had a lot of decisions to make. I'm so appreciative they made it at Glass Bar, especially uh, with everything that was going on in the world. So um, as Rob talked about the fish market, the front of the house perspective is so funny to see because when we were new, it was like riding a bike for the first time. We, people didn't know who we were. We were learning who we were. And then we shut down and we, we did the fish market. And the one thing that kind of bummed me out um, in the first 12 weeks, Chef, was you know, people were so hypercritical of you know, the restaurant and, and, and we wanted to bring something nice to Dana Point. But when we shut down, it was then I thought the guests saw the freshness of Rob's product, how hard he, he works to source the best product. And you saw Rob cutting it and weighing it and bagging it. And people went home and ate it. And the same people were lining up for hours outside saying it was the best fish they ever had. Now, I thought ironic because it was the same fish they had in the first 12 weeks. Yeah. But when you switch the paradigm to when restaurants were closed and you couldn't get that quality product anymore, Rob brought it to the community. And the name Glass Bar then became synonymous with the quality seafood and chef's artisanal preparations and flavors are just off the charts. So getting there was hard, but uh, um, the, the exfoliation that happened with us, people saw Glass Bar for what I think uh, it brings to the Dana Point community, which is elevated, beautiful, fresh seafood. Yeah. I mean, obviously we wouldn't be doing the show if you guys weren't still standing now. So something was right. And then obviously things getting reopened, et cetera. How are things now? I mean, how, how do things feel? Does it feel like you kind of emerged? Is it still kind of clawing back from some of the hardships that got put on by everything that everyone's dealt with? Or, or where do things stand at Glass Bar? Well, I think that we, all through pandemic and, and closing and opening and opening and closing and what have you, I, I feel that we've, op you know, with the market being a great success, when we reopened outside only, we were very busy. Um, we didn't really stop being busy. Uh, we were very fortunate. We have a beautiful outside patio. We went out into the courtyard, put 10 tables out into the courtyard. So we, we were pulling up numbers that are pretty darn close to what we're pulling up weekly now, um, with the exception of the private dining room and mm -hmm. the bar. So, um, you know, I thought, we, I thought we fought really hard during the three opening and closing times to keep the restaurant afloat. We have amazing landlords, thank God, because without them, we would be we would be dust. Yeah. Not a lot of people can say that. Yeah. And then, and then I think once we were able to kind of finally in January of this year, kind of like re kind of open. And I 
purposely did this on, we had our ribbon cutting ceremony on the day that Newsom said we could yep. actually reopen. <laughs> Which I loved. <laughs> so yeah. it was kind of like a, okay, finally we get to reopen for the third time and, and we can rock and roll. Um, and ever since then, we've been, you know, we've been driving on rails. We had a great summer. Um, the private dining in, you know, in the, in the, P, the PDR is, um, is working out really well and starting to book a lot. So any of those parties from 10 to 40. Um, and I think that, you know, businesses, it's, we, we are seeing the same people day after day, week after week. Yeah. And it's refreshing. And they've all given us their vote of confidence that, you know, you're through this. Marcos and I are the skeptics. We're like, uh, we, uh, you yeah. know, we don't, you know, I, we're still kind of like fighting every yeah. day, but the restaurant feels good. Like any given night, it feels good. Marcos, you, you, you know, you, you kind of lamented that you're a bit of a dinosaur in this industry and, and by all accounts in fairness, you may not be wrong. I think by most considerations, you know, most people, you walk into the restaurant, it's always going to be a very young host or hostess. It's, you know, finding a floor manager is generally somebody who maybe they're a bar lead and they're off duty that night or somebody like that. But I think with regards to things reopening, to be able to have somebody solidified at the front, it's almost like getting a veteran quarterback for your NFL team. I mean, it, it all of a sudden you have, it's one thing if you know that Chef is in the back and you know that Chef can do what he can do. It's another thing if you have that calming force on the floor, especially because I think we can all just be candid about it. When everybody reopened, it was reopening into a shitstorm of everybody flooding back, nobody knew regulations, customer patience, ticket times, et cetera. That reopening and that feeling of kind of getting back to the quote unquote normal, what was that like from your perspective? Yeah, I was listening to Rob talk. The, the, the front of the house perspective, it was a, a little bit different because if you, if you think of it as an engine, you had to keep shutting the engine off and then turning it back on. With that comes habits, um, efficiencies, and inefficiencies, and you know we lost staff each round of it too. And mm-hmm. then, and from a culinary standpoint, I'm not speaking for Rob, but to find a skilled culinarian each round became harder and harder. So yeah. as we sit a- around each other right now, staffing is still a hot button. But when we reopen, you know what I found. Um, and perspective gives you this, and there's, you know, it's funny. There, I don't, I'd rather not have gone through it, but there are a lot of positives that have come out of it. The staff that's here with us today and has joined on, even um, the second round of opening, are kind of vested and tested, and and kind of uh, wanting to see the success of all their labor throughout it, and they and they stuck around, and uh, it's nice because I get a lot of requests from the guests for certain servers because they've, they've gotten familiar with the, the that's, faces. I mean, family. that's that's a borderline rarity. You're talking like big old time. school steakhouse type of stuff to be requesting certain servers. Yes, big time. And uh, there's about eight or nine that have stayed with us since day one. Now, the tiptoe for me or the balancing act for me is I try to lend the support to the staff. And I, and I, I think that you treat staff as human beings first. Um, and then when employee things pop up, they develop the trust and respect mutually and uh, even if there's uncomfortable conversations, you know it's not coming from a place of uncaring. Yeah. So foundationally, that's always how I've managed with human touch. And, and, and from a guest perspective, I told the staff to have a good front of the house guy who knows what he's doing. It isn't about micromanaging and perhaps stepping on the neck, quote unquote. It's about um, allowing us as a team to flow, to fill the gaps of service and opportunities that arrive, we're, we're, we're there for each other. And uh, uh, if I'd like to be thought of as anything, I'd like to be thought of as a front of the house guy who's accessible to both the staff and the guests at any time. Don't like to spend a lot of time in the office. And um, what good is good food or good wine if you don't have 
good people uh, to make you feel about you know your, yeah. your decisions. So uh, out of this, I, I'm just so pleased about the culinary team and the front of the house team, how hard they've worked, what they've went through, and how much they stuck by us and, and we by them. It's no, it's no kind of surprise to anybody that hiring is still a major issue. It has been for you know months and months now, and it, it's really getting kind of a forefront of conversation. I mean, there's you can't drive by somebody's restaurant without seeing a sign that you know we're looking for so and so, we're hiring all positions, et cetera. I mean, there's one in the front of your restaurant right now while we're recording this. <laughs> yeah. For when there was a time when there prior to COVID, when every it seemed like everybody was opening restaurants, um, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all because you were doing it. Everybody was hiring. There was kind of a wealth of talent out there. You didn't really have to train so much. Obviously, you know, if you had a different POS system, people had to learn that, maybe the way we run service, but you weren't kind of doing that classic teaching and training. Are you guys finding both front of house and back of house that if you are bringing on new people that you are having to take more time to kind of train and educate and, and not just kind of get them in the door, but get them in the door and in your culture and at kind of a level you need them to be? I'm going to go first, chef. Yeah, Culinary yeah. world is a little bit. Yeah, go for <laughs> it. Um, for, for me, I've identified what I think an employee needs throughout the, the training process. The harder part is identifying which employee fits best into the four walls of the, the, the business and the culture you're established. It's, a, it's like a relationship. You could be good people individually. Are you good together is a thing. And, I, and I'm trying to harp on things I can teach. I, I, I trust caring, honesty, stuff you have in you, then the technical things and the knowledge-based things we can teach along the way. But I can't teach you to want to care when no one's watching you, when you're trying to do the right thing and the guest is asking you questions. You, you have to find that within yourself that you're going to want to do the right thing, not because of a dollar amount, not because you, know, uh, you might get caught. It's because that's what you want to do. So I think... Um, when I now being an elder statesman and I've had times when I've hired for experience and looking for experience and then they get on premise and you, you're like, was this the right fit just cause they had a good resume. So what I do, I do the inverse. I try to find a good person first and then put them in the places of success throughout their training that I think once they get out of it, they're, they're a good uh, representation of who, who we are as a business. Yeah. Chef, what about you in the back end? How's it been for you? Because I know that, that in, in fairness, I asked a universal question, but it, it's, you guys are in two very different battles. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The front of the house has been stellar. I mean, absolutely stellar. I mean, you can't, you can't the, the team, I mean, yeah, everybody makes mistakes and everybody has their isms or whatever. But if you look at it as a whole, if you look at the staff that we've had since day one in the front, um, very little turnover, very loyal, very dedicated, uh, caring, compassionate, and, and, and service professionals. And that's all because Marcos is training and, and hiring and all those processes, which is it's, I've never had to worry as the, you know, chef owner, if you will, had to worry about the front of the house, which is because I've been very inundated with worrying about the back of the house. So that uh, to answer your question, yeah, staffing has been, um, it's been torture. It's I've, I've been in this business for 37 years and I've worked in, you know, other states and I've worked in other countries and I've never ever felt or seen the lack of educated culinarians or passionate culinarians or uh, just let alone dishwashers. I, I just, I don't know where, I don't know where all these people went, but they're definitely not here. Yeah. And it's not just in talking to, you know, all my other 
counterparts and all the other restaurants that they own and everybody's in the same in the same boat many restaurants closing two days a week uh, because they don't have enough staff just to get their staff two days off you know we are closed on mondays to give um which actually gives everybody hopefully a second day off um during summer the kitchen staff was running six days a week uh, most of the time 10 12 hours a day for the core staff that i have and i will tell you the core staff that i have is absolutely phenomenal they they're top rank I, I would go to battle with anybody with those guys um the new ones coming on are are very very green um may have a culinary education or getting a culinary education um so you have to you're, i'm finding myself and irving my my chef de cuisine we're finding ourselves having to spend a lot more time holding their hand and walking them through the process. And this is how you make a vinaigrette and this is how you make a salad and this is how you peel an onion. And this is, you know, all those, the, the rudimentary things in culinary that you think when you hire a cook at the wages that we're paying now, that you should be able to whiz through nine out of 10 projects without, yeah. without even, without even blinking an eye. And that's the way it used to be. And now it's, it's, it's literally like, <laughs> Well, it does sound stressful and like a nightmare scenario, and, and there's not a single person I've talked to recently that hasn't completely kind of echoed what you've said. Are there any advantages to being able to, now again, some of the more basic rudimentary things, that's kind of, that's slowing people down. You're, you're taking up time that could be done, you know, doing something else, but are there any advantages to it? I mean, you know, culinary school has its ups and downs. I by no means a, a trained chef in any professional way or sense. Everything I know is from books and watching other people do it, but there is kind of that old adage of book smart versus street smart and maybe learning something in the actual heat of an, you know, a service. Is there any benefit to being able to kind of be able to move people and educate in a way that you can maybe skip certain things or go around certain things or, or just speed it up outside of that classroom? Well, yeah, we're definitely, what I'm seeing is I'm seeing the, the cream is going to rise to the top, right? So yeah. when you have 50% of your staff is, is trained rock stars, and 50% of your staff is very green and doesn't really have any experience, sometimes none at all. Um, I guess the benefit is you get to mold them the way you want to mold them until they decide to go somewhere else um, for another dollar or another 50 cents. Yeah. You know, so um, if you can, if you retain them, it, you could keep them for a long, long time. You know, like I said, I have a very core group of individuals that we all, believe and know that we can do great things and are doing great things. And then I have 50% of the people that are, I don't know if they're going to show up for work today. Yeah. You know, so it's really about kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's a game every day. The, one of the other things that everybody's dealing with right now aside is obviously sourcing, you know, this being a seafood restaurant, a lot of what you do bring in is, you know, you, you are kind of equal parts local or bringing in things from various you know regions that really aren't that far away when you kind of look at them. Um, you know, I recently did a podcast with another seafood restaurant. They kind of have a different approach where they're sourcing from a little further away. So they're not running into issues, but what's that aspect been like for you? Because I've talked to other people that talk about, you know, I'm paying X amount of this per pound, et cetera. And not to mention we're only what, two months removed from the oil spill right in Huntington. I mean, right. what's that been like handling a seafood restaurant? And I have to imagine for you, Marcos as well, being able to tell guests, I'm sorry, we can't, we don't have that right now or we can't get that right now. What is the sourcing aspect been like? Not to add to the stress. I'm not trying to add wrinkles to anybody's face. No, no, no. no. <laughs> it, but it's it's a it's a it's one of the top problems. You know, it's trying to find 
um, you know, we use Japanese hamachi. Yeah. You can't get it. You, you, you can't get it. So, you know, what you have to source and find another alternative, you know? So we, you know, just, this is just one, one thing is we sourced, I sourced a sushi grade albacore. So we're right now we're using a sushi grade albacore until the hamachi comes on on a plane, you know? So Alaskan halibut, it is, is very expensive, but if I don't have it on the menu, the guest gets really upset. So when the halibut season's over, it's easy. It's over. Yeah. Right. But it's halibut season right now. But it's hal- they that? just extended the halibut season was supposed to end on Sunday and they extended it to December 1st. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'm stuck paying 26 bucks a pound for halibut, you know? Um, and we have been very gracious and trying not to overcharge our guest. Yeah. You know, um, we're, you know, because I know one day that hopefully these prices will go down and we can just, you know, get back on our, on our, on our course with, you know, budgeted food costs and things. But right now, you know, we're paying lobsters through the roof. Yeah. You can't get local lobster right now. I called, I called to get a guest, a local lobster on Saturday from my local guy across the street. He has to drive to San Diego cause he can't fish out here because it's closed cause of the oil spill. And then he said, it's $29 a pound. And I said, forget it. Yeah, I'm, I, it's, I, I can't charge a guest $140 for a pound and a quarter lobster. I have to make my margins, but, you know, and, and the guest was grateful. And she's like, thank you for being honest with me. So, I mean, sourcing and, you know, oysters and oysters are a big one because I'm always on the phone talking about oysters. I'm like, what yeah, can you, you, what? you took it before we started recording. You took a phone call about oysters. <laughs> so I did. You're not even being facetious. <laughs> I've literally on the phone like six days a week about oysters um, and when I can get them and where I can get them from and how fast I can get them. And I'm trying to go a lot of farm direct because it's just they can FedEx them overnight and I get them. They harvest them, clean them and, and send them. So I have a lot fresher product. I'm not I'm cutting out the third uh, the third man in the yep. middle, which I don't know how long they've been sitting in a in a warehouse or in a cooler in L.A. You know, so I try to, I try to source that. My inventories, I keep extremely tight. Marcos will tell you on a Sunday night, I'll be like, yeah, we have um, six halibut or not, not really, but you know, maybe 16 when normal night we sell like 40. But if we sell out, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with moving product. You know, I, I don't want to sit on product. You know, we get live sea urchin every Saturday um, from C. Stephanie in, in Santa Barbara. And I, I get 10, between 10 and 15. Depends. I look at the reservations. I'm like, okay, I want to sell them all. So let's, let's move through them. Yeah. You know, so we still getting, we're still getting our fair share of, of high quality products. We're just paying a lot more for it right now. Um, that's kind of the state of the union. Well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. I don't know about you. But 2020 had me re-looking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me re-evaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potager comes in. Heirloom Potager designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef. 
Owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotager.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potager, P-O-T-A-G-E-R.com today. Once again, that's heirloompotager.com. If you listen to the best seats at all or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more, so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. Any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin, and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code, thebestseats15, that's C-E-A-T-S, at checkout. Now it's limited one per customer, so make sure you load up. But trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, go to amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, and use the code thebestseats15 at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. I'm, you mentioned menu prices, and I'd be curious to get both of your opinions on this, um, both kind of from your aspect as the chef and the person who has to purchase you know, plate and then sell it at a certain price, and Marcos as well as you having to translate that to the guest and explain why. I, I'm an ardent supporter that menu prices do need to increase just to bring in more money for restaurants, which allows them to obviously pay people more, retain people, you know, provide whatever it is for improvements of life around the restaurant, et cetera. Also, these things are wildly goddamn expensive to run. More money doesn't hurt to be able to do that. So I believe that many prices should increase, especially right now, as you mentioned, the prices that you're currently paying. I'd be curious to know where you both kind of stand on that argument about long-term price increases. And then also, I don't think people will pay them right now, but I think it's kind of an inevitability in a conversation that should be had. Where do you two kind of stand on that topic? And obviously that means more stress for you in the front of the house, having to kind of see those shocked faces. But where do you both stand on that? Yeah, so in the in the front, you know, you, you're you're always running for that sweet spot of value, sweet spot where um, the guest leaves the restaurant and the experience, and and you know sometimes they're willing to pay a couple extra bucks for a higher product, but then you don't. The flip side of that coin is you don't want them to feel like they just got uh, gouged. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, and and then you know when Rob and I first started talking about the concept, my my whole thing was I want to keep the restaurant filled seven days a week. That means I don't want to be too pricey where it falls into the only special occasion category, Mm -hmm. but I want it to be filled and warm and inviting from a neighborhood standpoint. Pricing falls into that same formula. Um, I think that people are willing once they try the product to understand that um, to source a better product, you might have to pay a little more but I still feel as though if they want to come in on a Tuesday night or Wednesday night, um, they want to they want to know that they can get a couple items too that um, are value driven, so they feel like the whole experience isn't uh, too overpriced. That's the hard balance. Yeah. Um, Rob does a beautiful job in 
um, introducing new products, especially on the weekends. Um, so even if there is an instance where we're running low on something, I feel like not unlike a holster, I have a lot of uh, weapons to choose from to steer the guests um, through the experience, both price point uh, product wise too. So um, the one, another good thing about this whole pandemic is the guests are really on our side. Um, I very rarely knock on wood, um, have conversations about pricing. People are very understanding of um, the state of restaurants. There are things that they, they're not as uh, forgiving on. They want good service. They want knowledgeable servers and hospitality um, in, in everything that we do. Um, but um, there's been a lot of trust in uh, Chef Rob in this community and uh, in Rob we trust. Um, and the product here and the freshness of it, if we do run out, people are understand why. Rob does not keep anything on the shelf very long, and the yeah. walk-in freezers are very organized and just never you're never sitting on lot. When I grew up in the business back east in, in the 80s, it was not uncommon. You cook gallons upon gallons of something, and then you store it there. Um, um, it's the exact opposite, yeah. especially here. Yeah. yeah. And again, I could be completely off my rocker with this. I think you made a great point about you don't want it to become just a special occasion type of restaurant. And I should say, we're recording this on November 9th. I mean, to this date, I've never thought your menu was overpriced in any way. I've always thought you guys found a really good sweet spot. Agreed. And it doesn't hurt that being down here, literally looking out at the ocean right on the harbor. It, I mean, it, I think it's fair to say that this is a socioeconomically comfortable area. Dana Point's a little more kind of better off than some other cities. So that's got to be sort of a benefit as well. Rob, I'm curious though, I do want to hear from you though, menu prices overall increases, should they increase? Should they, I mean, you, you said you would like to ideally kind of get them a little bit lower in the future. What are your kind of thoughts on that from the back of house standpoint? Well, I think that we, we just did a menu change mm -hmm. uh, last, last week, a uh, week ago tomorrow. So we did um, slightly increase prices a very, very little bit. Um, I'm, I'm not going to tack on $5 to this and $10 to that. Um, we did it very subtly and yeah. and so and normally when you do that it the guests will never ever see you know from 37 to 38 of course now they'll know if they listen to this so. well yes, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i mean you kind of have to raise your prices over time i mean you know our rent get, goes up every year you know inflation food cost i mean that's a big one of the biggest topics on the market right now is is food cost yeah food cost for consumers in general food, the price of food has gone up, what did they say, upwards of 30% in some items. Yeah, something um, like that. Across, so let's say even it's 15 to 18% across the board. I mean, I know that when we go grocery shopping, $100 in a basket is nothing. Yeah, that adds up pretty quick. It's yeah. nothing. And $100 used to fill a basket, right? So um, the cost of goods has gone up and it's hitting the general consumer. Um, our cost of goods go up too. So I, I think that, you know, I, I hope that restaurants out there are increasing their menu prices. I, and again, if we, if we see that once everything, if everything ever gets back to normal, what is normal? I don't know. But if like, I'm not going to charge, if I'm paying, let's say 1395 a pound for um, Icelandic cod, fresh Icelandic cod, I'm not going to charge, you know, $75. It's just not something I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to cost it out in my center plate cost. I'm going to cost out my food cost. I'm going to say this is what we're going to charge for me to make my margin. So, I'm not going to gouge on the lower end items, and I'm certainly losing on the higher end items. But you yeah. have to, you have to find that balance. And one of those things is you know I I tell people I've told people this all the time. You you make money on chicken, 
You don't, you don't make money on lobster. And people think the opposite because lobster is so expensive that you make money on lobster. You actually lose money on lobster, but you make money on chicken. So pro tip, order the chicken. We'll be helping restaurants. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask you guys both because you, you opened this restaurant together. You survived all the shit that was 2020 together. You're sitting here now still together. Were there, was there anything or any aspect about Glass Bar when she first opened versus now that you've maybe changed a view on or look at in a different light after the shutdowns and everything else, whether it's kind of the way, like you were doing something in day-to-day service, maybe there was something you were spending on, you know, money on before that then you're like, Ooh, I'm you know, glad we're not spending on that now. Were there any aspects of running the restaurant day to day that have shifted in the past year and a half? Uh, yeah, definitely. There's things that have shifted, I think. Um, but it, part about part of being a professional hospitality person is making it shift without the guest knowing. So if you were, I'll just throw it out there. If you're going to get our, our seafood platter, any one of our seafood platters that we have here or oysters or anything. When we first opened, I would take the um, hajiki seaweed and I would sprinkle it on the ice. Yep. Well, no, no more seaweed. No more seaweed. <laughs> $200 a case. Yeah, that's fair. That's a cost savings. <laughs> yeah, that's two buckets of groceries. So. Right. <laughs> so, so, and I haven't heard one thing. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's those little tiny things, the mini Tabascos we give. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving that up, even though they're 77 cents a piece. But the guests love them. They take them home. They talk about them. They shake them over their oysters. They're like, look how cute, you know? And it's just one of those things where I could put Tabasco in a ramekin, but it's not the same thing. Yeah. So there's, there's little things that you can do that we've tweaked. Um, I know in the back of the house, there's a, a lot of... Like we're still brining our chickens for 24 air drying for 24. You know, we're not, we're not getting away from any of the quality aspects of that. Um, yeah. I mean, with just little tweaks here and there for me, yeah. you know, uh, looking back, it seems more than two years ago. Um, the menu, Rob, I thought uh, yeah. you, you kind of made it more streamlined because this, this restaurant it's a very big front of the house and a very small kitchen. So at 7.30 on a Saturday, I'll use that intersection because everyone can relate to that's like your busiest time. You have too many menu items or a certain section in the kitchen gets hit at once and you can't get the food out. You know, people are very patient, but there's only so much to wait for a drink. Yeah. Or, right. So I think the menu streamline really made it the biggest difference. Um, what I've noticed, you know, in these rounds of COVID there's a real loyalty people have to, to restaurants and neighborhood restaurants. So I, I felt there's a, a stronger kinship to the guests, to Glass Bar and Glass Bar to the guests. I felt that. Um, people realized, and uh, you, don't, you don't know something until you have it taken away, how much restaurants are fiber in their lives. And, um, you know, it felt like a zombie nation that first round of COVID. And then when we reopened, there was a real appreciation. There was a real uh, buzz that people love to go out and, and, and break bread together and, and spend their dollar votes in neighborhood restaurants that they care about and want to support. So when I look back now, I, I realized the restaurant um, was a phenomenal idea and a phenomenal location. But having gone through the rounds of COVID, the, the synergy and the relationships and the loyalty that has come out of it has been really something beautiful to see. I should mention for people that haven't been here, this is a big place. I mean, how many square footage and how many seats? If you guys are maxed out, how, how big are you rocking? We are just 
about 8,000 square feet. That's not a small venue. I mean, this, is a, this is a big ass building. <laughs> it I mean, is. When you guys are rocking and slamming, I mean, it, you know, you mentioned the reopening and you mentioned kind of getting back to it and the rounds and rounds of closures and all the freaking announcements we all had to deal with. What did that first packed, you know, Saturday service feel like to be back? You know, when you guys were kind of fully rocking? Well, to be honest, like I said, we did, we, Marcos and Anik did an exceptional job at um, filling the patio. We were getting three turns on the patio, including the courtyard. So on Saturday nights, we were doing um, just a little over 300 covers on those Saturdays. Friday nights, right about the same. Um, so it wasn't, it, we were used to doing the numbers. And like Marco said, we did streamline the menu a little bit. Um, that was, you know, one of the things I, I think I came out of the gate a little too, I don't know. <laughs> a, little, a little too ambitious, maybe, um, uh, to be honest. And I think that... You kind of cheesecake factory it up front a little bit. Realized how big the menu was, how intricate it was, and how detailed it was. And then realizing, realizing you have 8,000 square feet. You're going to do, you know, three, 400 covers. And now you have to put it out in a timely fashion. Yeah. So the basil butter poached sous vide lobster, gone. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep. And eventually, hopefully those things will come back. You know, the, uh, the, the refinement of things, um, I don't think really took a far step back, but I think we definitely simplifies. We simplified things to make plates more than like five steps to pick up and quick pickups. You know, so we sear scallops to order. It's a three minute pickup. Yep. As long as my veg guys can get the, the, the veg on the plate and have it plated, the protein guy puts the protein on, I garnish it, I finish it, wipe it's it, out and the send window. it. Yep. So, so, those things, so those things are, you know, in the, from the very first reopening, when I sat down to rewrite the menu because we started with a new menu, uh, I wanted to make sure that we, we streamlined things. It was built for speed. I needed to, I have to, with this kitchen size and, and the lack of space, it's got to be built for speed. Now, if I was going to do it again, I mean, I would have blown out the wall right behind you and extended the kitchen to where I'm sitting. Yeah. You know, so I have more space and then, you know, able to optimize a little bit. But we did what we did within the footprint of the, of the restaurant that we had to work with. Um, and I think it, aesthetically, the restaurant's stunning and we get compliments every day on how beautiful it is and how amazing it is. And it, and it flows where the bar is, where the oyster bar is, where you know, how everything works. And so I think you know, we, we were able to streamline the menu and get it up into where we need to be. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Have either of you guys now that, again, it, we're, I know we're still in this thing, but it, it feels like the, the light's at the end of the tunnel. It feels like we're on the tail end. And, and I know there's even sometimes I go out and I'm like, I don't care anymore. I'm, I'm going out. Have either of you guys been able to exhale since, what is it, March 16th, that first shutdown date, whatever it was, that Friday or Sunday, whatever it was, the announcement. Have you guys been able to kind of be like, this might be behind us. I think we made it. I don't know about Chef, but I, I'm always waiting for those shoot a drop. You know, the, 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 <laughs> exactly. you know, there's always a hot topic now. And, you know, the, you know, the hot topic du jour is the vaccination or non-vaccination, mm -hmm. mass, no mass. So there's always going to be things um, that are coming up. Just try to keep the things that we can control um, within our, our vision and uh, hygienic is one of them. And spatially having a good patio gives people a uh, feeling of safety also. Um, so, you know, Rob talks about that second round when we 
were outdoors on, only in so many ways that kind of streamlined the operation and it was easier. There was no guests to where the guests were going to sit. They're sitting outside. Um, the staff kind of, uh, shrunk and that, and that helped clean labor. And, uh, uh operationally it gave us a, a foundation that I think each round of it, and, and I'm its biggest critic too. I can tell you the areas of weakness where we snatched the feet out of the jaws of victory, but each round of it, I thought we looked at it, um, in the ways that we needed to, we had to make, our weaknesses better and, and, and how we keep our strengths strong. Um, each round of it, I thought we showed better. Um, and I, like I said, I'd, I'd rather have not gotten through it, but operators, experienced operators that uh, are willing to pull back the veil and take a look at things um, came out of it. Um, and, I, and I've talked to some of my um, counterparts too. There were some restaurants that added on parts of the restaurant that are still in place now that they did more covers and yeah. more seats uh, out of it. Um, I, I know for a fact your neighbor, Blake Melgren up at Craft House, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's got sure, a whole new fabrication sure. coming for his back God, right. God bless them, because when I started talking about that, I was like, my kitchen's only so big, I can't keep adding more, <laughs> more, more tables. But uh, um, each round of it, I, I thought we, we took a closer look at ourselves, and, uh, and I, I sit here now so proud. Um, and uh, it happened a lot faster than we probably would have, and for the reasons we didn't like, but... Uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm very, very happy that uh, we're sitting here today, and I'm extremely proud of how dedicated everyone has been and the, how loyal the guest has been. Yeah, and rightfully so. Yeah. I think if you exhale, you, you're going to lose sight of the, the prize, right? Like you, for me, it's like every day is just, oh, wow, what's new? What, 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 what? What and we're gonna? What obstacle are we gonna jump over today? What hoop are we like gonna have to jump through? And what you know? Well, yeah. I, I mean, that's, I, again, that's I would love a restaurant. Yeah, You're like I, what went wrong when I was asleep, and how do yeah, I need maybe. to fix it now? <laughs> I would love to exhale. Um, I, I like Marcus. I think we just. I I'm just programmed different. Like I'm always like, you know, going yeah, yeah. Like unless I mean, it's different working in your own restaurant than working in a hotel or, and or for somebody else. Right? Yeah, that's Cause, fair. Because it's it's your. It's everything that you've put on the line, you know, and pl and plus all your other investors, you know, and so you feel obligated to make sure that the the operation is going to be successful, not only for them to pay them back, but for you and your future, and for us and our future, you know. So, um, think you know, exhale a tiny bit, a little bit, <laughs> just little to bit. know that it's still bit. still, yeah. still sure, here. Sure, I, sure. I will tell you, there was a Saturday that we did, um, we did. It was like 30 grand. Huh? It was like 515 covers in four, it from four to four to 10. That's a battle. So, <laughs> and that, that after that day, I was like, wow, I wonder what we can do. You know, mother's day was 626 covers, but we were open for brunch and dinner. Godspeed. So it's yeah. like what, and we didn't even have a private dining room that night, that Saturday night. And you tack on another 40 or 50 people in here. Yeah. And, you know, that's where it's like I need a cloning machine because I need to clone a couple of my really good sous chefs and then <laughs> clone myself so we can cook for it. Because right now when we're doing private dining, literally I'm running off the line. Marcos is running onto the line expediting and I'm putting the party out then running back. You know, as, as we kind of move into the holidays and as we kind of wrap down this show, um, you know, a lot of people will probably be going out. It's, it's more of a celebratory time. You get family in town. You know, everybody knows that the night before Thanksgiving is one of the you know, biggest drinking holidays in the U.S. I mean, there, there's tons of good stuff coming up. There's equal parts people that are hospitality industry as well as non-hospitality that listen to this show. What advice or 
tips would you guys have for anybody that's got to work through this season and, and could be in a different restaurant? You guys mentioned that your clientele has been nothing but supportive, which is great. Unfortunately, I know they can't be the same for everybody. Are there any tips to diners that are going out during the holiday season or people that are you know, getting back to it and, and working and grinding it out during the holiday season from the hospitality standpoint? Well, from the, from the front of the house, uh, you know, you're going to be busier. We're going to swell up in numbers. So just be patient. Um, we have a great cocktail program here. It's a craft cocktail program. And sometimes some of the um, things made from scratch take a little longer. Um, and it's a people business, right? And we're all people. So uh, I think how we treat one another. And even when things aren't going as smoothly as possible, there's still a relationship to be had. So for going out, it's the time of the year where there's a lot of uh, cheer. Um, even when things aren't going well, just remember that there's human beings on the other end of uh, the scenario. And uh, what they say, life is filled with mistakes well handled. I think that in Christmas we have a lot of volume, so there's going to be a lot of opportunity there to, to strengthen some relationships, even in not ideal scenarios. But uh, uh, every time uh, Thanksgiving comes around, it's kind of like um, summer from July to Labor Day. From Thanksgiving to New Year's Eve, it's almost like its own little microcosm of, yep. a, uh, of a season in restaurants. And, uh, you know, I, I look forward to when New Year's Eve happens and um, we, we drink a glass of champagne. The last couple of years have given us such really unique perspective on everything, and I, I couldn't be more appreciative. Yeah. That's awesome. I think reservations, highly recommended. Yeah. Yeah. And honor the reservations. And if you can't call ahead yeah. and cancel please, it, don't please. leave them standing. Yeah. And, and, and be flexible. I mean, we, we, we make, we have people make reservations so they can have a table waiting and, you know, you can put requests in and their requests and you can put things in that you, you know, it's a birthday, it's an anniversary, it's a, you know, holiday event, what have you, you know, we do our very best to make sure that everybody, everybody's wishes are granted, but you know, sometimes, you know, life happens, you know, you have to move a table. So, um, I think just being flexible, making reservations, um, showing up on time for your reservation. Yeah. We get, we're getting a lot of, uh, 45 minutes an hour early and expecting tables. And it's like, you know, we allow two and a half hour turn times on tables and we, re- that's to respect our guests. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's one of the things that we've been dealing with a lot up front is just people just coming in and kind of mad dogging the hostesses and trying to get their, trying to get their way. Um, it happens. Um, but other than that, I think, uh, yeah, I think we'll have a good holiday season. I hope everybody understands that last holiday, everybody was on lockdown. Yeah. Shut down. So yeah. maybe they should be a little happy that we're out. <laughs> I think they will be. <laughs> Guys, I want to thank you both so much for the time. Um, if people wanted to reach out and find the restaurant, either through the website, social media, things like that, and if they wanted to reach either one of you through that way, if you were comfortable giving them out, where can people do that? Uh, I'm available at um, on Instagram, Chef Rob Wilson, or or at Glass Bar, uh, Dana Point on Instagram. Uh, also, you can email me, Chef Rob, at GlassBar.com. Awesome, simple. Likewise, Marcos at GlassBar.com. Love it, guys. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, I really appreciate it, and uh, I cannot wait for you guys to have a, a hopefully a real kick-ass holiday season. Us thank too. You. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much 
to Chef Marcos, to everybody for, again, the people that were at Glass Bar. We recorded that um, in the middle of them kind of prepping for a regular service on a Tuesday. So I know that that can be inconvenient for the staff kind of running around just trying to get their jobs done before they open. So thank you to the entire team at Glass Bar. Thank you to you for listening. Thank you to everybody that does support with monthly subscriptions over on patreon.com forward slash the best seats. I'm so excited that the new content announcement has finally come out and there's tons of really cool stuff coming your way. Thank you to the advertising partners for this episode. I could not do this without each and every one of you and to everybody who is hearing this later on on free feeds, whether it's Spotify, Amazon, iTunes. Thank you to all of you as well. Even though you're listening on the free feeds, I still love you and I love your support. So please keep sharing it with your friends. If you like the good work that we're trying to do over here at the best seats, stay safe. Don't drink and drive. Stay off Yelp. Remember to tip your staff. Make some good reservations, show up on time for them, and enjoy. we got a great holiday season ahead of us with great restaurants like Glass Bar. I'll see you out there, and I'll see you soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash the best seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Cheryl McCarthy, Serena Warino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Pizza Guy 92, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito No Rito, Sarah Hines, Jay Baker, Tim Swine. Thank you for your support.